Welcome to the Pastors Podcast. This is Pastor Scott with Pastors Brian and Matt. Hello. Hey. I started without telling them I was going to start. Was that surprising to you? Did I catch you off guard? Shocked. And yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, that was surprising. <laughs> it's... I'm the only one having fun here this morning, guys. I was trying to help so out. So far. So far. <laughs> It's hard to have fun when, when you're so shocked. <laughs> such Completely a, caught off guard. Such a state of shock. Oh, that's me. Yeah. Normally, no. there's a lot of a lot of pre banter banter. Surprising prankster. Oh, I wanted to. I wanted to try to see if we could capture the pre banter. Yeah, that's the that's a problem though because there's a reason it's normally not included in the podcast. <laughs> we can cut it's it. our edgier we, 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 stuff. We, we can cut it right here. <laughs> yeah, it's our edgier stuff. Brian had a lot of edgy things to say. He said, uh, <laughs> I was going to make a really lame theology joke, and then I decided that's not for our people. Lame theology jokes are for our people? Aren't for our people. I was going to say, I was going to say a joke about him saying maybe a th- certain theology isn't that bad, but it's r- like, complete inside baseball it's it's not were you gonna joke about the fact that brian's a closet presbyterian no that i mean that maybe that would have worked (laughs) maybe baptizing babies is not such a big deal Uh, you have any inquiries on that matt at cornerstone are you gonna get a bunch of emails now about about baptizing babies i know but what about baby dedications (laughs) baby dedications yeah Just stepping into the mire. Yeah, dove into it. Dove in first. All of that. Brian's got lots of thoughts, and he would like <laughs> to discuss it with his open coffee with a pastor time. Um, you theology can night. Theology night. Coffee with a pastor. Do you remember coffee with a pastor. I. We did like, that. I remember the name. I'm trying to. It was. Before the merge, it was at Pete's Coffee in Westwood. Oh, yeah. And we would like have like come have coffee. It was going to open invitation coffee with a pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it got interesting. Yeah, it did. For the, for the one person who showed up every time? Is that who it was interesting for? It was just an interesting spot to do that. There, there's not an element of doing... Coffee with a pastor at Pete's Coffee in Westwood Village that was not interesting. That's true. We way back in the day. So when I was in college, I mean, this this podcast is mostly about me, anyways. But back in the day when I was in college, uh, you mean in general or today? <laughs> no, no, t- today in general. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know what the people are listening for. We've gotten we've gotten feedback. We've Wait, taken surveys. You, you're you're telling a story. Everybody everybody's dying to know. How the story ends. That's good advice for you too, Scott. I know. I, it was coming back. I'm I just saw, saying. I saw it as, as saying, I said it. As I, I said it. Like, you, it was coming back. Mr. Uh, can't finish a sentence, Mel. <laughs> Brian is disgusted over there. You're just disgusted. I'm, I'm defeated. I'm defeated. <laughs> That's <laughs> what keeps happening. It's my favorite. When we do this. It's my favorite place for you to be <laughs> defeated. The, so when we were back, when I was back in college, you and I used to go grab coffee at Pete's and Westwood. Yeah. And we saw lots of stuff back in the day. Yeah. There were a lot of wild people that used to hang out over there. It was a very interesting time discussing postmodernism and random stuff and terrible books. And it was, it was wonderful. You were 24 years old. We both had lots of hair. I was 18. Lots of hair. Is it problematic to, to ask like what the worst book you read in the early 2000s was? Uh, I think remember? for me it would be God of the Possible, or okay. which is Greg Boyd or Brian McLaren's New Kind of Christian, which is pretty bad. What was the worst book? You, oh, I don't know. I, I think, I think, Brian, I think, I feel like you would have a hard time calling a book a worst book. I didn't read any of those. I mean, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> we were planning a church. Only I didn't have time to like read. Like, well, fair yeah, enough. I wasn't sitting around like, what's a book that might be horrible that I should no, read? No, there's books what's that the, are like people who've book like you read def- defected from in faith. Seminary. What, what was like the, the like, worst there, book you read from but, seminary? But not, not, not assigned in seminary, although it could have been assigned <laughs> in seminary. But during those years, 
<laughs> the worst book in seminary. Oh, man. I have zero answer to this question. I don't recall. <laughs> any, I, I can't remember a book I read that wasn't assigned in during, seminary. During seminary? During I mean, seminary. there must have been something. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just Sorry. remember, I, I remember my That's hermeneutics right. class uh-huh. was basically all about why dispensationalism is right. So that threw me off my first semester of seminary. Mm. But that's not what we're here to talk about. No, we're, we're here to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> this might, we might just need to start over on this one. Colmery is so flustered. I that every time. <laughs> He's and we so never flustered. do. He's so flustered. I'm not so much flustered. You are so I, red. You're right. You're right. I'm flustered. I'm, I'm falling apart over here. Yeah. <laughs> You better be be careful. You might did, have a diabetes flare up. Did he just throw us? <laughs> did he just throw something? What was that? Yeah, what was that? Gosh. <laughs> oh, Brian. Don't throw Man. your mic. Just because it's not on video doesn't mean you just do whatever you want. Gosh, Brian. All right. We're here to talk about Matt, though. Hold on a sec. <laughs> Hold on a sec. Did you hear that? I think I think if we're gonna do sound effects, we need to pipe them into <laughs> to the recorder. It was in the background, though. He broke the glass way over there. All right, All right. glass break right. sound on YouTube. That's what I did. All right, for the last um, over the course of the last year, we've periodically spent some time doing uh, pastors' testimonies and getting to both know our pastors and hear a little bit about their story about how the Lord brought them to faith, um, led them to be a pastor, and Matt's up because we're going to force you to yeah. share about something serious. Yeah, let's do it. So I'm, I'm actually ex- excited about this because I love to both I mean, trace the work of the Lord through anybody's life, but I know it's been a, a journey and uh, a cool one for you. So. Um, why don't we start at the beginning? Did, did did you grow up in the church? Yeah, I did. I grew up in um, Orange County. Grew up in a Lutheran church. Lutheran. Shout outs to all the right. Lutherans out there. That's right. What synod? That's a thing, right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, we were grew up in the ELCA. Mm-hmm. You too? Yep. ELCA. Yeah. ELCA, which is the more Not to liberal. be confused with the Missouri synod. The Missouri yeah, synod. Yeah, I don't know anything more... about this. I just hear Luther, like deep pocket Lutherans, like you guys growing up, talking yeah. about synods. And I'm, okay. Yeah. Well, Synod is S-Y-N-O-D, and that is just like a subset denomination. So, But the ELCA was the kind of church we grew up in. And actually, the ELCA is pretty liberal theologically, um, but the church I grew up in was a relatively good church um, in a lot of ways, gospel preaching church, and had a lot of people who loved the Lord and um, were faithful Bible-believing Christians. And so, yeah, I grew up in a Lutheran church, main thing... With Lutherans, we eat a lot of Jello. That's pretty much it. It's the main thing. <laughs> That's, the main That's how thing. you know. <laughs> it's how you know. Uh, no, my parents. So my dad grew up uh, quasi Presbyterian, uh, like never really committed to church or Christianity um, as a young boy, and moved around a lot um, between Chicago and Arizona. My mom grew up in a Catholic church and grew up going. She went to Catholic high school and. Um, like always had experience in the Catholic church, but had really bad experiences. And it wasn't until later on in life when they moved out to California in 1980, that they started going to something that is somewhat familiar in terms of like, you know, higher church, a little more formal in terms of its liturgy, but not the Catholic church. And so they landed at a Lutheran church and that's how I ended up at a Lutheran church, Huntington Beach, California. So when in the midst of that process did like your faith become your own? Was it, was that kind of a gradual thing where, where was there a like, moment for you when, um, I don't know, you kind of took ownership of it? Yeah. A series of moments. Yeah. I mean, for me it's interesting. I, I think I always, because I grew up in the church and, and, you know, different people have different experiences, right? So some people have a lot more dramatic Sort of coming to faith experiences. I I genuinely believe that my um, 
you know, there's a lot of God's providence and just the, the every day um, come going to church every week, participating, being confirmed and learning scripture and those kind of things. Like, I think God used all of those things. I don't think I became a Christian until I was 16 years old, but I um, was familiar and always had like a sense of God in my life, I would say. Um, a sense of the reality of God, a sense of God's morality, a sense of God's presence, a sense of God um, being an important part of life. Um, but what always held me back was I was just a just a giant Pharisee. I was a good kid. Um, I always followed rules. I always um, did the right things, and um, everyone was always impressed with me. That has since significantly deteriorated over time um almost like like yeah it's become real bad because of brian's presence in your life he's just like giving me a look today <laughs> i don't know what's going on i don't know if it's all the the diabetes joke or what happened but um it's just normally there's just a lot of love and affection coming from his <laughs> eyes and he's just like he's got daggers at me well, hold on a sec No, Brian, don't do that. Oh. <laughs> when it repeats on on its own, that's not good. Right, so anyway, so, so yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we joke, right? But like when people are impressed with you, you kind of lean into that. Yeah, right, I mean, a there's kid. a sense of, here's what I would say. I mean, when I, when I look back on my, you know, middle school, high school, like early high school life, like I think because I was a good, good kid i followed the rules and my grades were good and you know um other things like that there was a sense of not like being a being good with god but not needing a savior mm. like not really being in touch with the fact that i had sin or any sort of things that needed to be dealt with by god it was like oh yeah god's good but i'm you know i'm pretty good and i'm a good kid and that's what i'm supposed to be it's very moralistic and that moralism i think for me is something that was kind of like my guiding principle follow rules do good and that's what christianity was about um and i completely misunderstood what the gospel was hmm. gospel isn't um god looking at people following rules and saying hey yeah you're a good person so you're on my team the gospel is you, a sinner desperately in need of a savior, needing to be rescued from your sin, guilt, shame, the wrath that is um, deserved because of that sin. Um, and so it wasn't until I was 16 years old, um, had kind of wandered off, I think, away from church, but also away from just um, any sort of, uh, any sort of uh, morality that kind of comes from being a young kid. I had a lot more freedom and had a lot more of my own... Um, uh, ability to to live out whatever my heart's desire was, whether it's um, um, you know sexual sin or partying or other things like that. Those were things that um, just kind of dove headfirst into and came to the end of myself and realized, wait a minute, all these things I had heard about my own about forgiveness and sin and all these things that never clicked for me before this, never were a part of my life, never were. Um, a part of my consciousness when I thought about God, all of those things were now me. I wasn't the good kid anymore. I was the bad kid. I was the kid who was lying and um, stealing and cheating and um, breaking rules. And I was the kid who was doing stupid things and um, breaking my own uh, uh, moral standard. I was, uh, uh, I was no longer this conception I had of myself as the good kid who uh, uh, was worthy before God because of my goodness all of that comes collapsing and I'm left with in this situation where I'm like, man, what am I, how do I, how do I deal with this new understanding of myself as sinful broken? Um, and that's when the gospel finally became clear to me in my head um, in a way that uh, had never been before came through mainly uh, a buddy of mine um, uh, who just spoke the gospel boldly into my life and, reminding me of things that I had heard, but never really received mm -hmm. um, and became a Christian around 16 mm. summer, mm. summer before junior year of high school. And so I, I want to take a little, just a quick detour. Yeah. 
What would you say to kids that can have a similar experience as like the good kid? Um, or to like, you know, you said that the clarification of just somebody speaking the gospel boldly to you was, yeah. was pretty helpful, but for kids, for parents, for friends of, you know, kids that maybe even are growing up in or around our church family that are, that kind of consider themselves the good kid. Yeah. Like in light of that experience, like what would you, what would you want for them? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, for me in my life, it took me seeing my own heart proving myself and my sinfulness Mm. in a way that was always there, but was much more subtle and hidden. Um, I think the, the pride and the ego, the self-righteousness, um, uh, we're, we're always present, but we're just, you know, hidden under good deeds and following the rules and those kinds of things. Um, for kids who are like that or for parents in that situation, I think one of the, one of one significant breakthrough for me would come from something like the story of the prodigal son, right? Um, in the story of the prodigal son, you have one son who's wild, loose living, runs away from God and a very runs away from his father in a very uh, aggressive and overt way. Things that we normally think about, he's you know partying and doing all these other things, whatever. Um, and we think of the story about him, right? Primarily, this is a story about this uh, this son who's done these uh, wasted his father's inheritance, who hates his dad, who's lived this crazy lifestyle, and he's separated from his father because of his sin. But the thing that I think was eye-opening for me was that the older son also was separated from his father. Um, And he's separated from his father, not in his wild, loose living or other things like that. He was separated from his father and his rule following. And um, I think the key to me that really uh, unlocked that door was recognizing that there's more than one way to run away from God. Um, There's more than one way to... um, to uh, break God's rules. Breaking God's rules isn't always, doesn't always look like getting drunk and partying, getting, um, you know, doing uh, uh, things that the world considered, you know, whatever uh, is considered bad in the world um, or worldliness according to to Christian standards. Um, You can run away from God by trying to follow the rules and, uh, think that that is why you are better than other people or why you deserve God. Um, and so the real danger for kids who are good is I think not recognizing that it's just as sinful to run from, to separate yourself from God by trying to earn his favor by following rules as it is by running from him and partying and doing all these other things and depending on the gospel, resting on the gospel, resting on the fact that, you are a sinner in your nature and you are a sinner, whether it's subtle like pride, whether it's self-righteousness, whether it's um, uh, some sort of ego that is more subtle in your life, um, a superiority, um, an arrogance, or any of these other things that I think are connected to self-righteousness or some wild, loose living, you know, whatever it is. Both of these things are, both of these examples are different ways to run from God and following the, it's not, Christianity is not about following rules. It's about loving and trusting in Christ for your forgiveness. Um, So I don't know. I, it's challenging because I think there's a lot of kids who are good kids who it's going to take something (laughs) to, to really open their eyes to see their own sinfulness. Um, But I think it's helpful. It was helpful for me to have broadened my understanding of the categories of sinfulness, that it's not, it wasn't just the things that I normally thought about. The breaking of the rules. It's actually the following of the rules with the wrong motivation was something that mm. can also separate you from God. Mm. That's such a good reminder. All right, B. Yeah. Knowing Matt's story, I mean, I, I, I got questions about like how you became a pastor and stuff like that, but what, what have you always wanted to ask Matt that now, right now, since he's on tape, you can ask him. Matt typically volunteers all the information <laughs> we need. Um, so I'm not, I'm not no, sure no, I, I have. Uh, 
<laughs> well, we're good then. <laughs> That's good. I have questions for you. <laughs> I'm sure you do. What were you thinking? What were you thinking when you first met me? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. You were very young. I was very young. Not as young as you. Scott, Scott keeps saying he's been pastoring for 16 years. It's actually 17 years. It's, it's longer now. It's is 2022. It? 2005 is when you planned the church. Mm. The, en- the end of 2005. It was October. You were, yeah. you were, doing, you were, yeah, yeah. You were doing prayer groups. Core, what time did you start pr- and, core group stuff? Yeah, we were, huh? I forgot about that. The summer. I think it was just the summer. Just the summer? Yeah. All right, 16 and a half years. I mean, I think it was this time of year when like, the idea came to fruition. I mean, I think we like, planted inside of a year. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, it was a pretty quick. Anyways. Yeah, I, I, I want to say also for me, I think one of the things that was really um, compelling, and, and this leads into the uh, next part of my story, but um, I came to the end of my, like sort of my recognizing my sin, needing to hear the gospel, recognizing that Christianity isn't about following rules. It's about uh, receiving the gift of salvation that God has given for us in Christ, the forgiveness, the love. Um, that it's not about my work. It's about his work. Uh, that was like such a powerful moment for me. And I think a conversion experience, but on its own, I was untethered and I don't know where that would have ended up, but I had a youth pastor who invested in me, um, started coming to the youth group and a youth pastor who just spent a lot of time, discipled me, read books together. We read horrible books together. It didn't matter, but we were reading (laughs) books together and learning about God together. And so I, I honestly think like, you know, and I'll be preaching on this in a couple of weeks that Jesus gives us a command to go and make disciples of all nations. Like there's, there's a sense in which I very possibly could have converted. And then like my faith could have stayed really shallow for a long time had not certain things happened, mm. including the discipleship from my youth pastor, but then even from you guys when I came up to college. And so, uh, you know, it's one of those things for me, I look back on the church and like God's sort of sovereignty over all of it. And the the uh, sort of the 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 picture that we normally think of when we think of salvation and um and uh and becoming a Christian and to me I'm so excited that I get to now help form disciples as a pastor mm. because I think that's what was so impactful for me in my life huge obviously huge beautiful incredible conversion experience becoming a Christian is such a beautiful radical life changing thing. Um, but God calls us to become Christians, but then also are, be formed into disciples. And that was really key in those early few years with a particular youth pastor who invested in me um, uh, during my junior and senior year of high school. So that was that was extremely impactful. And and you guys are a huge part of that story too on the next sort of handing off from from that. So, I, okay, so you and, I mean, you and Nicole knew each other in high school. You started dating in high school. Started dating senior year of high school, yes. So you might have questions about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I just how? wore just a low I just had a I had a low cut V uh, uh, neck shirt. For <laughs> like why? I had a, lo, a, a low cut <laughs> V neck shirt on one day and she just <laughs> That was it. It was well, so, it was enough. I mean, <laughs> you guys were I mean you were you were kind of told, you know, even at that point that you were too young for this and sure. you know, things like that. I, I mean, I, I know teenagers in my house and in our church that I'm like, yeah, they're too young for this. But like, how did that, how did your relationship with Nicole shape both of your faith in that season? Or how, how did those, how did that, those intersect? Like, what was yeah. that like? So it was really interesting. So because I just think it's a lot younger than most of us. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of times when it could have, could have gone awry. Um, she became a Christian distinct from me. So she became a Christian between her junior and senior year of high school. Um, and we didn't really know. I mean, we knew of each other at that point, but we didn't really know. Like we weren't in the same friend circle or anything like that. Um, we had some classes together, but not all of them. And um, her friend Michiko became a Christian uh, junior year of uh, junior, the, the summer between junior and senior year of high school and basically led Nicole to faith in Christ. Um, Nicole grew up in a Catholic church. She uh, baptized Catholic church and, um, you know, did catechism. And I don't think she ever completed catechism, but she, um, her parents got divorced, a lot of family sort of stuff that happened over time. She had really invested herself in um, 
in dance um, and ballet. And she worked really hard in school and the identity, I think she really struggled with identity throughout high school, family kind of issues and other things coming up. And Michiko just explained the gospel to her. She became a Christian. Nicole became a Christian um, in that between uh, junior and senior year of high school. Um, and then senior of high school. So I had I had been a Christian all, um, all throughout the junior of high school. At that point, the senior year of high school, I became the, you know, the president of the Christian club because that's just how it goes, right? Yeah, like yeah. even though I'm a brand new Christian, but yeah. um, uh, senior of high school, zero period, calculus, uh, <laughs> brutal. So I'm sitting in the back of the class and I'm sitting here thinking like- That's a detail I don't remember. That's great. I am sitting in the back of the class and surrounding like back corner, normal spot for me, back corner, uh, the three quietest kids in the school are around me. I'm like, oh, zero period. Calculate. I'm gonna fall asleep this whole this whole year. Like I'm gonna really struggle staying awake if I don't move seats. And there's one seat open. Happened to be next to Nicole up front. Of course, she's sitting <laughs> up front. Nerd. Um, and uh, I had gotten a a cross necklace from you know my grandma for Christmas the year before, and I was wearing that and. Um, she had just become a Christian, um, but she also, her familiarity was with the Catholic church, similar to my mom actually. And she was like, I don't know about like this weird Baptist church, you know, that my friend goes to, but she knew I went to a church and she knew I was the president of the Christian club. And she asked if I could come to the, 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 our church one day. And I was like, yeah, of course you can. Um, and we kind of struck up a friendship that way. Now at the time I was dating a different girl, um, and Nicole started coming and she shared her testimony and um, just started coming f- basically for the four months of the fall. And um, my youth pastor pulled me aside. I think it was like December 2004 or so. And it was like, um, dude, you need to break up with this other girl and date this other girl. <laughs> your, Nicole. your youth pastor told yeah, you? Yeah, he basically, that's what he said. He said, you need to break up with the girl you're dating and date Nicole. Like I knew this part, but that's a bold move. It's a right, bold right? move. Was the other girl in the in the church? Kind of. Um is that why? Because it's for long. It's really worse. <laughs> if she's like he you was know, like four seats down. He was yeah, pretty charismatic. Yeah. So I don't know if you know he would consider it you know like a word from the Lord. A word from the Lord kind of thing. I don't know. Anyways. Um well, I th- if he did, he's pretty happy right now. That's right. Yeah. Anyways, that's yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's yeah. something there. Yeah. yeah. But that's a, that's a whole thing. But anyways, he, he said that and I kind of thought about it and I was like, yeah, he's kind of right. He's kinda right. Yeah. He's kind of right. Um, so I broke up with this other girl. Um, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then Nicole, I think she's okay now. <laughs> anyways, the, <laughs> Uh, it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. Um, Nicole's friend, Michiko and my friend, Kyle, we started just kind of hanging out as like a group of friends, Christians, like started just like, you know, we weren't all in the same youth group exactly, but, um, we had a lot of friends to get like classes together and we were, you know, we, I was, we were in ASB together and other kinds of stuff like that. So we were around each other a lot. Um, and we just, um, just started spending a lot of time together and it was just friendship. I mean, we developed a, a strong mm. friendship in that time. Um, we knew it was senior year of high school. No idea what was going to happen college-wise. Um, we didn't really start dating until later on in senior year because we were like, look, like we're enjoying time together. And it, it just developed as a friendship first and foremost. Um, and then we started dating, and, but we also said like, look, we don't, we just started dating. We've only been dating for a few months. We don't need to make college decisions together like i don't need to make you don't need to make your college decision based on where i'm going to go to school because we've only been dating a few months it's been great like praise the lord for the gift of a healthy dating relationship that neither of us have ever had Mm -hmm. um god glorifying dating relationship that none of us have neither of us have ever had um so let's make those decisions independently Mm. so we did but we both independently 
um, got into and chose UCLA. So we were like, okay, well, I guess we'll keep things going. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's when we moved up here. So what, Brian? Brian's smirking I'm, over there. I'm because that segues directly into you ending up at my apartment. Yes. For a prayer night. I think because Nicole emailed me. Yeah. And was like, hey, I don't know how you guys heard about us. So we heard about you because um, my youth pastor, for all of his theological chaos, really loves Francis Chan. So we used to listen to um, Francis sermons together at different points. And um, so we would listen to, this is when, you know, uh, I guess podcasts or I don't know, like online sermons would be posted. Mm-hmm. Um, you could listen to online sermons. So we, I used to listen to Francis sermons um, or we, Nicole and I used to listen to Francis sermons um, online. And uh, we, you know, we were the first college that had Facebook. Did you know that? We were the first college year that had Facebook. I think huh. we were the initial really? college Facebook for across the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were oh, yeah, because you had to, I totally forgot that you had to have an college, EDU yep. email, email address. address to get an account. That's right. Very interesting. So anyways, I mean, that's a whole segue, but um, do you guys want to talk about the metaverse? <laughs> it came up on our elder retreat. And how. And we how. Figured, we figured it out. And how. Yeah, we got to figure it out. Um but we listened to Francis sermons and there was like a college summer camp thing that I went to before we went to college, a college um, up in the, up in the mountains or something. I don't know that Francis spoke at too. So we were listening to, we were listening to Francis sermons and he said, and you know, of course the ones that you guys preached, we just skipped over those cause we weren't <laughs> there to listen to you. Um, but he said they were planning a church in Santa Monica and uh, we were like, Oh, that's, pretty cool because that's right here. And so we, um, Nicole emailed and there was prayer nights and we were like, okay, how do we get there? <laughs> so we tried to figure out the LA bus system. I think we actually missed one or two because we, we were like, I don't know how this bus system works. <laughs> Never taken a bus before in my life. Um, and we finally figured it out, made our way over there. And that was probably, mid-September or late September um, or early October even because school starts late for for UCLA. Maybe uh, late September, early October of 2005 Mm -hmm. and uh, rolled into Brian's apartment and came to a prayer meeting and the rest is history. (laughs) So... There's so many stories. No, the rest is not history. There's so many stories we can tell tell there. Um, Brian was not married. I, Did lots of hair, a lot of ice cream in that apartment. That was a lot of ice cream. We, that prayer nights were basically subsidized by that ice cream. Like that's how <laughs> it was. <laughs> There's a lot of ice cream involvement. So we we can talk about all that, but I I want to for the sake of our time and our limited amount of time left today, I, I want to fast forward a little bit to how and why you became a pastor. So you know you you went to UCLA. Um, the Lord was doing all sorts of things in your life, in um, in your relationship, in your relationship yeah. with Nicole, in your relationship with the Lord, um, growing you. But w- what was the process like? I mean, and it wasn't super long. It was maybe just a couple of years later where, um, yeah, where you felt led to pursue pastoral ministry or, or affirm to do that. Yeah, it was interesting. So... Um... My Lutheran church growing up, as much as this a gospel preaching church, it had a lot of like power struggle divisions within it um, amongst leadership. The structure of it, the the polity of it was a little bit wonky. And we had something like seven different senior pastors within seven years. And it was kind of a place that um, chewed up and spat out pastors, which was not really healthy. And so I actually was... Uh, my youth pastor who who eventually got you know pushed out of there um we were reading books on sort of the failure of the institutional church and other things like that right and we were like i don't know about institutional churches and denominations and all these other things and true christians living out their faith on their own doing their own thing and um so there was coming into college there was kind of in my mind this sense of like oh yeah like um my faith is real and genuine and like 
passionate. Um, but uh, I don't know exactly uh, what it will look like to live that out, but I, I can't imagine it's going to be connected to the institutional church. Um, our connection with you guys was like, ah, oh, this is like a church plant. It's like barely a church, <laughs> you know, like it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's something totally different. It's basically like a small group of random people. And um, there, I think over time, there was just a lot of discipleship that happened in over the next two years, especially. Um, and then in that process, um, there was a, uh, a trip I went on, my youth pastor moved over, the youth pastor guy, he moved over to a big church and uh, was like the global missions director guy. And so he took me on a trip. Um, we actually went to Uganda um, and uh, got to meet uh, Pastor Peter and a lot of those guys got to see the the uh, uh, the local church functioning there and then seeing Shoreline functioning the way that it was. It kind of blew my mind because I was always under the impression that institutional church, whatever, the local church was just messed up. Like it's just a mess. And um is probably something that could be taken or leaving. Leaving? I like that. Um taken or left. And uh I'd, I really didn't have a sense of like calling to be a part of that until I saw local churches living out these commands from the new testament in a healthy way and i was like wait wait a minute maybe there's something here that i was missing about god's design um and so over a couple years i basically fell in love with the local church um fell in love with the possibilities of the local church having grown up in a church that was very broken and very um uh, messed up in terms of power struggles and all these other things i got to see both here in abroad this unique reality of what happens when the local church, when people love Jesus and genuinely love each other. Um, and it changed my perspective. And I said, that's something I want to be a part of um, for a long period of time. And so in that process as well, my my um, father-in-law told me that in order to marry Nicole, I had to finish college. And so I finished college as quickly as I could and then jumped into seminary right away um, after that, thanks to you guys. You know, that's it's really interesting. I, I'm, I'm not even sure I fully appreciated just how, like, like how big of a shift that was yeah, for you, like in the, in that time. I, I would also love to, for you to explain, I, I know we're kind of a little bit limited on time, but I, I would love to hear you explain like what that process was th- through kind of that decision and calling and, and then coming out of college, you essentially made the decision to be a non-vocational pastor. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think that's, a, that, that was an interesting piece that I think it's easy f- looking back now for it just to be like, oh yeah, you became a pastor cause that's what you studied to do. And that was kind of the plan all along, but it, but it wasn't in a lot of ways. No, it wasn't. So I came back. Um, I remember when I distinctly felt like called to pastoral ministry, I, um, remember sitting down with Brian, um, for coffee and, um, said, Brian, I think. I think I'm like called to ministry. And he was like, everyone's called to ministry. I was like, um, okay. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, uh, I mean, like, I think do you I'm... remember this conversation. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, do you want to know why? <laughs> sure. Cause he had it with me. Is that no, I think I had it with you also. Okay. I, I remember where I was. I remember exactly where I was. It was that that little random coffee shop over on um, off of Santa Monica and uh, that little side street that comes out like an angle. I forget what it is. It, there used to be like this coffee shop. There. That's true. I'm thinking of Overland and yes, you are Overland and uh, Washington. Yes, you are. Which I remember that. That was a too. different conversation. It was a different conversation. Um, it was uh, Rochester. 
Oh, it was the the weird siphon coffee place? Yes, it was a weird siphon coffee place. Yeah, it's gone now. It was actually like Sports Videos 4 or whatever. They like sold like cassette tapes about sports. Yeah, I remember sending out there exactly there. So Brian told you, everyone's called the ministry, so who cares? Like basically, this passionate calling you feel doesn't matter. It's 3D chess. I just knew I had to put up a barrier so the stubbornness would push through and like really propel him forward into ministry. What I was trying to say is like, oh, I think I want to go to seminary and I think I want to like maybe move towards vocational pastoral ministry and you're kind of like well being a pastor doesn't mean you're vocational yada yada and everyone's doing ministry you're supposed to do ministry regardless so uh i eventually i eventually i eventually got there like six years later uh but uh yeah that was great and 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 similar conversations with you so yeah so um coming out of college it was like okay so go to seminary it's a church plan. I don't know. You know, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, um, but, um, basically like we're, we're during seminary, Nicole was working at UCLA and, um, um, in the neuroscience department and, um, kind of supporting the family. We had gotten married. Basically my father-in-law said, you have to be graduated from college before you get married. So I graduated as quickly as I could. Um, and proposed a week later. We got married eight months after that. I was already in seminary um, a couple semesters. Um, when we got married, we were barely 21. Got engaged at 20, um, married one month after Nicole's 21st birthday. Um, we were babies. Um, and then got pregnant with Owen basically seven months into marriage. So um, we had a kid coming along the way and I had been in seminary for three semesters, but basically stopped and said, well, uh, Nicole's gonna be pregnant and I need to get a job. So um, I had some experience with substitute teaching and did some long-term substitute teaching for middle school math, um, always been strong in math and done a lot of math tutoring and different things like that. And so I got connected with a, a math computer program, ST Math, where I guess everyone probably knows now after the pandemic, everyone probably used it. Um, all the kids around the, around the country, but it's basically, I was um, started doing trainings for teachers on ST Math just to support the family and worked for, it's called Mind Research Institute. And it was a way for us to stay in LA um, and continue to invest and grow ministry wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it basically was turning into a career that would support me bivocationally, um, and support the family bivocationally and stay in LA that direction. So that was a shift for me too. Cause I yeah. came in and expected, you know, vocational ministry is what I'm going to seminary for, but seminary had not been completed and I was still doing a lot of ministry, you know, in college I was doing, um, I was doing homeless ministry and still continue to do a lot of that there. I do a lot of teaching, a lot of other investment on a variety of sides, but um, was kind of expecting to probably be bivocational for the rest of life. Mm-hmm. Um, working, continuing to work for, for Mind Research Institute and um, God had other plans. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was interesting. So even when I think about it, you, um, you, you could have just kind of, gone all in on a seminary, figured out a way to make it work, and then gotten a job, as a, tried to get a job somewhere as a pastor. But yeah. th- there was also, a, it, it seemed like a piece of that where you made the choice and felt called to stay here. Yeah. Kind of, in a sense, whatever it took. Yeah, kind of, that's how it was. It was, I'm, I'm being trained here for ministry. I don't want to do that somewhere else. I don't feel called to be a, some different place. Like I don't, you know, uh, and I, in the midst of that, honestly, because of like my youth pastor connection, mm-hmm. like there were like a variety of different job offers totally. and other things like totally. that. Um, but um, I, I mean, I was so desired. It was just like, <laughs> there's like one job offer somewhere. Um, but I mean, there was outs yeah. Is, yeah. is what I would say. There was yeah. outs either with, um, you know, the family business or outs with, um, um other ministry opportunities that, that, that could have come, but Nicole and I just, I think over continually over time felt this distinct 
um, impression, you know, and I, I, I believe it's God given, but I, I don't want to say like God spoke to me or something. I just believe a God given burden and, and impression in our hearts that we should be in LA. We should be continuing to invest in shoreline, continuing to invest in this place, continuing to, um, get ministry opportunity. We were, I felt so blessed because I knew a lot of guys in seminary who were studying and weren't getting a lot of opportunities for ministry. They were fighting to get like a, to teach a Bible study once a month or something um, in different contexts. And for me, I was leading small groups and teaching classes and doing all these other things. You guys were giving me so many opportunities to preach and other things like that. Like, why would I, why would I run away from a great training ground opportunity? Um, There's things to figure out on the logistics of, um, of, of supporting the family financially, but, um, but we wanted to be here and we believe that God wanted us here. And so, um, yeah, we basically made the choice to say, we'll stay here no matter what. Um, we'll, you know, um, we'll, we'll, uh, make it work and, um, expect to do that long term. Yeah. And then an opportunity came up to come on full time here. Well, when Kevin moved to Guam. <laughs> <laughs> and Pastor Kevin moved to Guam and a family ministry like, uh... pastor opportunity came up and yeah. And I remember it was a hard conversation with my boss at my company because we were basically expecting to be around long term. Yeah. And it was a ministry. It was yeah. an opportunity there to minister to people and serve in a, a different secular context. Um, so there was wrestling that came with that. Um I had been like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to stay bivocational for the rest of life. And then God kind of twisted that and said, you know what? Here's an opportunity to full-time be on staff at the church. And that was a, a huge transition for us as well. Well, we could do this for hours. Bunch of kids along the way too. That's right. That's right. Bunch of other stuff. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we could. I mean, what, anything... Anything we're missing? B? Early on, by the way, early on, just to give you a sense of like what discipleship looked like early on, it was like before Brian, it was, it must've been finals week of um, 2005 or maybe like winter 2006. Um, and we were at a prayer night. It was a Thursday night. I had like two finals that next day and Brian with his diabetes um, had stepped in some poison Oak or something like that. <laughs> this is a, yeah. And Chrissy, not, not married to Brian, not married, not, not dating, dating. Not dating. just looked at like my, like below the knee of one foot. I I'd, I'd spoken on some retreat and I guess on a hike, I had touched some poison Ivy. And so like any, I would say normal human being, I scratched it like crazy. And so my, like my, my lower leg like kind of swelled up and Chrissy on a prayer night looked at it and was like, you need to go to the hospital. Like w- one, one calf can't be twice the size of the other calf and that's normal and okay. And so Matt is like, I'll go with you. <laughs> like, okay. So we went to that weird St. John's. You, yeah. St. John, but it was like a St. John's offshoot. Yeah. It was like it was a like pop-up like hospital. <laughs> yeah. It was a pop-up. <laughs> And there's a yeah, taco truck and hospital. There were very many. Uh, one of the one of the restrooms overflow while we were there. So in yeah. like the the room, like water starts seeping under the door. Yeah, they moved us around a few different places. Yeah, there we was like there for like five bone, hours. Bone saw in there, and like you had, like we're holding yeah, it, was it up like a and closet? playing with it. Yeah, there was like why are there it was really significant medical instruments just right in this room for us to just hang out with. Probably two thirty in the morning when we got back. At finals least week? finals week. Yeah, it was, I had two finals the next <laughs> and day. And can I tell you something? <laughs> Matt was excited to be there the entire time. The entire time. Both very supportive of me just as a person and also just enjoying the ride. Yeah. So. I, I have enjoyed the ride. <laughs> Seems like a good way to characterize the whole thing. Yeah. Any, any last thoughts for the people, Matt? I mean, I got lots of thoughts. All right. Well, I got okay. lots of thoughts. Maybe I shouldn't ask. I think, <laughs> I think there's, I think what I, what I think is interesting is in the midst of life, you don't have the whole story, right? Yeah. And you see like a portion or you have ideas of what might be going one way or the other. Like I could not have predicted 95% of the things that happened, yeah. whether like um, 
how I came to faith or meeting Nicole or college or uh, meeting you guys um, or coming on staff, being bivocation, all of the things like yeah. I could not have predicted the timing of it. None of it would have been what I would have done the way it all happened. None of it would have been what I would have done and wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for the world. So it's a sweet reminder. It's <laughs> glory to God for the way that he just directs that. And that's true. Even though um, yesterday you just brutally made fun of me in front of the whole church during a God's activity saying my jokes are terrible. So when a pastor gets on stage yeah. and says, we went on an elder retreat yeah. and we worked on a bunch of things and our jokes or and jokes. And that's all he says. And you take that as directed at you. And apparently you think the congregation did as well. I don't think that's on him. It's on him. Cause he said, he said, no, number one, he said, we've all like incredible character. Like these men have incredible character, but terrible jokes or something like that. And he said, and I'm not looking at anyone in particular as he looked and stared directly at me, he made eye contact with me. And he's like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at you. Is the, what the next the, sentence was. So first, I don't know. First, I was in the back. I don't. For, maybe I didn't. Maybe I missed for that. For the record, the, the first eye contact was inadvertent. You know, you're just like, yeah, yeah. But as it came out and the timing corresponded with me seeing him, like I couldn't look away. That was the problem. Yeah. yeah. It was good comedic timing. Whatever. Whatever happened. Whatever happened. I'm just saying, I've enjoyed the ride, even the bumpy parts. Mm. And we have to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you guys. We'll, we'll call it there. Thanks for listening. Thanks Matt for sharing this, this, this bits of your story. It's uh, sweet to remember and sweet to see how Lord's worked through it all. So. And thank you all for listening. We love you and we'll see you on Sunday. <laughs>